For those watching at home or listening to the podcast, we just watched a clip from the movie Freedom Riders uh, where a boy steps up and reads from his journal about his situation where he was evicted from his home and became homeless and the embarrassment that, that was surrounded that situation and that experience. And then the, the power of him finding community somewhere else, of finding a home elsewhere, even though it wasn't a literal home, of finding a community that he could be a part of was, was incredible. And I'm going to argue today that in some sense, all of us are homeless. We're, we're doing a series called The Redo, and we're on part five of that series. And the idea of The Redo is looking back at our past, and all of us have regrets of some sort. All of us wish we had done something different at different times, or wish we had not said the wrong thing at the wrong time, or, or, or that we had not done something violent when we did. Some, some people carry the burden of truly terrible things that they, they, they did at some point in their life, and wondering if God can ever forgive them, wondering if they can ever make amends, wondering if they can ever make things right. And the idea of the redo is that you can't, actually. You can't redo anything you've ever done, but what you can do is learn from it and move forward and be transformed, that you're not dominated by your past, that your past isn't this force pushing you forward that determines who you are and determines your identity, but instead there can be a breakaway from that thing that's pushing you forward. And I, I, in, in thinking about homelessness, I, th I thought about the, the concept of home a lot. And when we talk about home, what are some words that come to mind to describe what it means to have a home? Just anybody, shout something out. Yes. Love. Love. Anything else? Family. Family. <laughs> what else? Furniture. Furniture. Peace. Security. Security. Consistency. Consistency. <laughs> Comfort. Warmth. Warmth. Good Nail answers. Polish. What's that? Nail polish, yeah. My, my two-year-old son got our nail polish out. Did you see that picture? Is that <laughs> My two-year-old son got in some nail polish and smeared it all over our bed comforter this, this week. So that's why we can't have nice things. But we got a two-year-old son, so it's a, it's a trade-off. The, the one word that was mentioned, and, and in some sense, all of these words are summarized a little bit under this one word that we want of security. It's this feeling of, of being safe, of when you go there, and we talked about love and family, and part of the reason that's so wonderful is because of this word security. It's we know we have a place. And I'm going to argue today that we're not really as secure as we think we are. It's, it, what's going to happen for the next few moments is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound a little bit like a hellfire and brimstone preacher. <laughs> some, some people want that. But... It's not, that's not my intention. My, my intention will unfold later on in the sermon, but, but sometimes I lay at home in bed and I think about how secure am I really. What makes me feel secure is that I have a thin sheet and now a, a, a stained comforter on top of me, and that, that gives me warmth and, and makes me feel protected from the elements, protected from the world. And really, all that lies between me and the rest of the world is a, bunch, is a little bit of wood. We had a bullet fly through our ceiling this, this last summer. We're, we're laying in bed, and there's a crash in the next room, and I thought something had fallen off a shelf and broken. So I got out, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm like 007 ninja. I, I pull a gun. I mean, I'm walking through the house buck naked with a gun, right? And I'm, I'm going room to room wondering what in the world this was. And it, it ends up a bullet, a, a pretty large uh, bullet, bullet, flew through our ceiling. So it hit the shingles, through, flew through the shingles, through the decking, through the insulation, through the drywall, and landed on my desk. And I've thought about that several times laying in bed since then. I'm not haunted by it. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of unafraid of that. But I've thought about how we feel so secure because there's shingles, decking, some insulation, and some drywall between us and the elements, between us and the world. And the reality is we're not that safe. For, for most of us, we, 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 we deadbolt our, our doors every night and feel a little bit safer if somebody really wanted to get in, 
That deadbolt is nothing. We're, we're, we're not as safe as we feel like we are. And today I'm going to talk about the concept of temporal existential nihilism or nihilism, depending on how you choose to pronounce it. These are some big words that basically mean nothing we do matters. No, there's, there's no such thing as security. And it, a lot of it is, so we're, we're all destined for the grave. Nobody gets out alive, right? There's nothing you can do to stay secure, to stay safe. And we pursue our whole lives trying to be safe trying to create this sense of safety and security. And it's kind of an illusion that will never happen. There's a second law of thermodynamics, which is some people describe as the law that defines or is kind of the foundational law of all laws of physics, is the second law of thermodynamics. I'm going to call it the second law of we're all doomed. The second law of thermodynamics is, is there's, there's lots of ways to describe it, but the basic idea is that energy in the universe is being converted from a usable form to a non-usable form. It's called entropy. Entropy occurs all around us all the time. It's happening in your coffee mugs right now. That heat is dissipating into the air and becoming unusable. You can't re-grasp it and put it back into your coffee. You, see, you, you experience entropy all day, every day. And entropy says the sun will burn out. So even if you manage to do some cryostasis thing and freeze your body, you don't get to live forever. There's, there is no way you're ever going to have real, lasting, eternal security. In the, so a temporal existential nihilism, temporal. When it comes to time and when it comes to your existence in matter, it's never going to be secure. I look in the mirror every day and see the effects of entropy. I told my wife yesterday, I said, it's really good that you fell in love with me when I was skinny and had hair. And, and then she said, but you're the sexiest, most awesome thing I ever saw in my life, and I love you. So there's that. She didn't actually say that. That's what I was fishing for, and she never said it. <laughs> she, she, she basically said, you're all right. <laughs> but we experience entropy in our bodies. I want to take jujitsu classes right now, but I'm 45 years old, and I went and watched a class, and most of it is getting up off the ground and back down on the ground, and up off the ground and back down on the ground. And I have no cartilage in my knees because of entropy because I banged my knees years and years and years playing volleyball, the cartilage dissipated, and I can't grab it and bring it back. The, the, the skin under my eyes, I notice, keeps getting wrinkled and darker. And, and the more I look in the mirror, the darker it gets and the more wrinkly it gets. That's entropy. This is reality. No one maintains baby soft skin forever, no matter how hard you try. And the people who try the hardest and, and go surgically to do this, they end up at a certain age where they kind of look freakish. It's kind of like you tried really hard to avoid entropy, but good luck with that, pal. It worked for you for a little while, but it's not going to work forever. So there's, there's this, it's, it's basically chaos. It's everything is falling apart around us, and it always will be. I, and there's, there's chaos in your, in your body. There's chaos in the cosmos. The sun is burning out. The earth will eventually escape the gravity of the sun. There's, there's, everything is going down. There's financial chaos. I... I bought an iPad X, uh, I mean an iPhone X this, this last week, which has just been incredible. But these things are $1,100. So I, and, <laughs> I'm not going to leave that sitting around. So they're $1,100. So I had an $1,800 SLR camera that I'm selling in order to have the money to have this camera in my pocket at all times. Because now the, the iPhone Xs are, all, are, are, are inching up on the equivalent of an SLR camera as far as the quality that they put out. So now it makes more sense for me to have this in my pocket than my SLR in a closet at home. And so I'm making that trade-off. But here's what I've found. I have fear because of this thing. I used to have an iPhone 5S that's worth 50 bucks trade-in. Man, I could leave that anywhere in here and I wouldn't care who came in. I, I mean, so many times some of you come to me after service and go, hey, you left your phone on the, 
And it's because I don't care. It's a $50 little piece of junk that I can replace easily. Well, this, this is blood, sweat, and tears for me to replace. And so now I have this, this fear of holding on. And so there's, there's chaos in, in the financial realm. You, you think fin finances will give you security, but what really happens is the richer you get, the more you have to protect. Now, this is a kind of insecurity that I wouldn't mind having, but apparently the rich become very insecure about their money. They become really concerned about the cars and the houses and everything else. And they have to spend lots and lots of money on security. So the richer you get, the more you become concerned with stuff. And it's just it's chaotic. It's entropic. It's, it's, it's never going to get to the point where you can just feel financially comfortable. It just doesn't, there's, th that point doesn't happen. And then spiritually, it, it's, it's chaos in our brains all the time. And, it, and, and maybe rightly so. Mute Math is a, is a band that started in the 90s as another band and, and put out several albums. And they've recently put out a new album. And the lyrics to one of their songs has just been rattling around in my mind for, for quite some time. And I'm going to read it to you and then talk about it. So he says, I was born in the vacant land of the faithful. You say prayers when you're scared to be careless and found ungrateful. I was born a defender of a hell made for sinners and never did ever forget that it's still well equipped for quitters. I've been under the impressions of a God in the heavens who strikes down all the heathens and fights to protect his children. And then later in the song he says, you want to cheat death, but you can't hold your breath forever. So he has this, and he, he, I've read articles from him, I've read, I've, I've read interviews with him. He, he has this background of Christianity and, and this idea of a God who's mad at you and is just looking for a reason to judge you. And then he says, but I'm, I'm fearful of death, death anxiety, which we did a whole sermon series on here a couple summers ago. You can look that up online if you want to watch those. But then he continues. He says, my head is spinning around. 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 He says it over and over and over. And it's this, it's this problem that he has that he's thinking about his past. He's thinking about where he is now. And there's, there's a lot more to the song. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty lyrically impressive song but it's the idea that do we ever really get to the point where our head can be calm about things like religion like do we ever get to the point where where we don't have questions and and then if you're a person who doesn't have questions are you just blindly following like sheep and now you're a fundamentalist now now you so so the question is how much of my religion has been indoctrination I mean, this, it's a chaotic world if you let yourself ask the hard questions, which we believe in in here, is that it's okay to ask the hard questions. And it gets, it gets pretty nasty. Now, here's some comfort for you in the middle of my expose on nihilism. Nobody escapes this question. Nobody, nobody is free of this question. There's no atheist that's free of this question. There's no Buddhist that's free of this question. There's no Hindu that's free of this question. There's no Muslim that's free of this question. There's no Zoroastrian that doesn't get to look at, that shouldn't, Look at this question. So just because you have the question, don't, don't be afraid. Everybody probably ought to face off with the question. Is how much of my religion has just been handed to me, and how much of it have I actually sorted out? And we would encourage you to be the kind of people that sort it out. But no matter what your religious view, there's this chaos of when will I ever know for sure? When will I ever feel fully confident? And if you're an atheist, you're faced with little animals like the birds of paradise. Anybody ever seen these birds of paradise? Familiar with these? Birds of paradise are, exist in some, sub, some tropical islands. And they're really you know, beautiful little birds and kind of interesting because when they're threatened, this happens. So what does that look like? A big, a big face, right? 
So this is a protection mechanism for the birds of paradise. So when something threatens them, they look much bigger, and it's a scarecrow, basically. They look a little bit scarier. Now, we were watching um, Planet Earth 2 recently, and they were talking about the birds of paradise. And I noticed that the narrator couldn't avoid using, despite some of the other things he had said that led me in a different direction, he couldn't avoid phrases that lead to what they call teleology. And teleology is purpose. And purpose requires a purposor. And so he would say, the birds of paradise, feathers and backside, expands like this so that, because it, it, in order that, so he would say, so that, in order that, because of, and he would talk of purpose. He would say, it does it so that the bird can be protected. It does it because it wants protection from others. And there have been studies to show that even atheists, atheists have a really, really hard time talking like atheists. Because there's always this idea of teleology, of purpose behind it. Even, they've even studied three-year-old children that have been brought up in atheism, and they always speak of teleology. Why is the giraffe's neck so long? So that it can eat in, from high places, right? It says there is a because, there is a purpose to the, to the elongated neck. This is called teleology, and it's unescapable. And so my, my point is, even an atheist, so let's say you reject Christianity today based on my question that says maybe this whole thing is just something that you've been indoctrinated with. You don't have any place safe to turn where you don't have some chaos, where you don't have some serious questions to answer. And, and, and there's no place safe. There's no place where there aren't questions. And then there's just the day-to-day -day grind of living. How many of you would love to have a nice, clean bathroom at home? I mean, doesn't it, it just feels good to walk into a, a bathroom where everything's shiny and clean and comfortable and secure, right? But the reality is that if, you're, if your bathroom looks sparkling clean like this, probably there's a musical instrument somewhere gathering dust, right? In, in, in order for you to keep a clean bathroom consistently, you have, to, you have to neglect something else. And if you're good at the guitar, then chances are you haven't sat with your dog as much as you'd like to and gazed at a sunset. So it's a world of trade-offs. We're constantly trading off, and in a world of trade-offs, you're always going to have regrets. See, you're not going to regret having the clean bathroom, but you might regret not seeing more sunsets with your dog, or picking up that guitar and playing, or spending more time with your kids, or starting a dice business, which I'm doing right now. Uh, my son and I have, have found out that there are some metal dice that people buy in droves, and we've contacted a factory in China, and we're having them shipped to us in mass. We're going to start selling metal dice because I want to teach him business principles. I'm going to teach, he's, he's nine years old. I'm going to teach him how to keep the books. I'm going to teach him what it means to take out a business loan. We're loaning him the business money. I'm going to teach him what it means to make a profit, how to ship stuff. He's going to start learning his own business and hopefully pay for his way to, to Yale or Harvard, right? That's the ultimate goal. But if I'm doing this, I'm, and, and I won't regret that, but I might regret not ever picking up my ukulele and learning how to play, but it's a trade-off. So my point is, you're never going to arrive at a life and never going to arrive at a position in life where you don't feel bad about something, where you haven't neglected something. And we're not even talking about horrendous stuff. We're not talking about hit-and-run drivers who got drunk and hit somebody and knocked them into a ditch and drove away and never found out what happened to that person. We're not talking about shoplifting. We're, we're just talking about people who really want to do what's right and really want to prioritize and still end up with regrets. There's no safe place in this world of entropy. Lewis Carroll's book, The uh, 
into the looking glass, Alice meets a, a character named the Red Queen. And apparently the Red Queen is like a chess figure and they have some kind of a chess game. And somehow in this, in this chess game, it involves running. And this, this part plays out that I th thought was really insightful where, where this idea of entropy, entropy and chaos and, and regret is. So it's a long text, but Alice never could quite make out in thinking it over afterwards how it was that they began. So she didn't know how they started running. All she remembers is that they were running hand in hand, and the queen went so fast that it was all she could do to keep up with her. And still, the queen kept crying, faster, faster. But Alice felt she could not go faster, though she had not breath left to say so. So she's pushing herself to the max to run as fast as she possibly can, and she's still being driven forward to do more. The most curious part of the thing was that the trees and the other things around them never changed their places at all. However fast they went, they never seemed to pass anything. I wonder if all the things move, move along with us, thought poor puzzled Alice. And the queen seemed to guess her thoughts, for she cried, Faster, don't try to talk. Alice looked around her in great surprise. Why, I do believe we've been under this tree the whole time. Everything's just as it was. Of course it is, said the queen. What would you have it? Well, in our country, said Alice, still panting a little, you generally get to somewhere else if you ran very fast for a long time, as we've been doing. And the queen responds, a slow sort of country. Now here you see, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as that. So she says you can run as fast and hard as you can. You can work as hard as you can to get somewhere, and it's still not enough. You need to go twice that fast to ever get somewhere. And there's some truth to that in this life. I, I, I saw images of one of the, uh, of a, a, a billionaire who had done the plastic surgery thing to try to hold on to her good looks in her youth. And you find out that the harder she tried, the harder she tried, the further away she got from the goal. If, you're, if your goal is security, you can work and work and work and give everything you've got to feel secure. If your goal is material things, you can work and work and work and just become more and more afraid of losing everything that you've worked for. You can keep running and keep striving and keep working and keep trying and never cross the finish line because you haven't gone an inch, because you don't live in a world that will ever be satisfied by striving and pushing and moving forward. It's like my, my father-in-law is here today, Randy, and one of my favorite quotes that he says is, he says, a man can spend his entire life just beating the bushes back. If you sit long enough, your yard will overthrow you. If you sit long enough, your house will be covered in dust. And if you dust one room, the other one's getting dusty while you're dusting the one room. It's, it's just the reality. You can work and work and work and never arrive. And so one of the points that we've been making in the redo is that we do live in this world of chaos, this world of entropy, where it's waves that are up and down and up and down. And some days are really hard, and some days feel like smooth sailing, and there's everything in between, and one of the points we've tried to make is that's okay. A lot of times we feel like if we have regrets that there's something wrong with us, but we could, we could go through and interview every person in this room, and I guarantee every person in this room would not just have minor regrets, soul-rending regrets, most of us. Most of us in this room will say, if I, could, I would do anything if I could go back 
and change what I did in this particular situation or what I thought or how I, how I was. It's just the reality that we are in an up-and-down entropic world. So, as we talk about the past, we've talked about the, the re- regrets, and we've talked about forgiveness, we've talked about bitterness. Then we got to the present, and we talked about how the present is all you'll ever have. You will never exist in the past. You will never exist in the future. You will always forever exist in the right here, right now. And right here, right now is the only chance you have for a redo. Right here, right now is the only chance you have to make a shift, to make a change, to change the direction, the orientation of your life. Right here, right now is all you'll ever have. And, and it, for this week and then next week, my goal is to start talking about the future. What does that look like so that my past doesn't push me forward unstoppably? Again, this inescapable juggernaut that we can't possibly get out of the way of. How do we look to the future and make course corrections now that send us in a, a, a better direction, let's call it? Well, what I wanted to do today was establish that we need to define better direction. Because if we think, I can work hard, I can change change how I've done things, or I can can reach out to my mom who I haven't spoken to in years, or I can can repay someone that I stole from, or, or whatever it is we think, and yet we think those things will push us forward into a life without regret, we're probably mistaken. Because this is our present This is our past and this is our future in this entropic world, in this world where the sun is burning out and the bags under our eyes get bigger and bigger. It's never going to change that you're going to be faced with regret constantly. It's never going to change that when you pick up the guitar, you're neglecting your dog. That's never going to happen. It's never going to change. So we don't want to invest our hearts and minds and souls and strength into something that is temporal, something that is existential nihilism, that is going down. It's all going down. That's not what we want to do at all. I I take notes throughout the weeks and and I keep a file with sermon ideas and sermon illustrations and I'll I'll have a thought and I'll write it down and then later I'll I'll turn it into a slide or turn it into an illustration or whatever and I wrote something down a a week or two ago and I just read it this week and I thought that's so good I'm just going to read it to you. So there it is. The goal to read you is not a brighter day with calmer seas or a better home that one day will collapse. It's to direct our eyes toward the area beyond the ocean and outside the home. It's to recognize the freedom of living outside all this. So it's, it's recognizing that we live here, but knowing that this ain't where it's at, that there's something outside of that. And if you read scriptures, you see it constantly that we're not supposed to get cozy here, not in this life. It's just not supposed to happen. This isn't where you're supposed to be invested. And it's, I, I don't do this often, but I'm just going to fly through a bunch of scripture to show you what's, what the Bible has to say about this. It says, You will return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You are sojourners and exiles. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. And this, this is just, I finally decided I'm going to put them all on one slide. This is a bunch of different passages of Scripture. We look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, it's our body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The world is passing away with its desires. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Set your eyes on things above and not on earthly things. James even says it like this. James was Jesus' brother. And he was, he was pretty harsh sometimes. He says, you adulterous people. So an adulterer is someone who is intimate with someone who isn't the one they're committed to, right? 
He says, you adulterous people, he says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? So he says somebody who gets cozy here is not being faithful to the one they're supposed to be faithful to. He's pretty harsh. He's using hyperbole. I don't think if you enjoy a good cup of coffee that you hate God. But if this is where you're invested, you're not giving your devotion to the one you should be faithful to, is James's point. My mom turned me on to what they called Pendleton Woolen Mills. Anybody ever heard of Pendleton? There's, there's four educated people in here. So Pendleton makes these amazing wool garments and blankets, and they're very, very expensive. If you get on eBay and try to buy a wool blanket from Pendleton, they'll cost you 100 to $300. It just depends. But the moth is the destroyer of Pendleton. So I, I, I do a lot of shopping at Goodwill and various thrift stores, and every now and then I'm walking down the aisle, and you can tell. I mean, you can just be, like a Pendleton shirt will go oh, off the aisle. You, you feel it. It's, it's there, right? Nine out of ten times, the reason it's there is because of this, is because of moths. And then we, we've been working on, we, I, I just rebuilt our shower area from the ground up. My wife smelled mildew when she got pregnant, said, I swear there's mildew in the bathroom. So I gutted everything and rebuilt everything. And there was some, some grout lines that were outside of where they ought to be when the whole project was completed. I did a big tile mosaic. It's wall-sized. And uh, so I got some, um, not Brillo pads, what's it, steel wool, and was cleaning up the, the grout lines that were outside of where they're supposed to be. And I'm doing it in the shower. So I just get in the shower, and I'm working while I'm taking a shower. Well, now I've noticed all these orange dots everywhere. They're on the ground. They're on our, our little shower platform. They're, they're in the grout lines. They're in the corners especially. Guess what that is? Rust. It's rust. I'm such an idiot. Right? I worked so hard. I mean, I spent, it literally took me months to do this project because I did it two hours here, three hours there. And now I've got all these little rust dots and rust lines because I used steel wool and all the little fragments came off and then they got wet and now it's destroying stuff. So now I've got to figure out a way to go in there and etch out every one of these hundreds, if not thousands, of little rust dots. And so I, I say all that to say that Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said the following. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So what's the answer? I don't, it's, it's not all meant to be doom and gloom and hellfire. I promise it's not. It's supposed to be recognizing what has value and recognizing what doesn't. Because if we're going to talk about the redo and where we go from here and we're going to talk about how we navigate our future, then we better figure out where our priorities are. And our priorities aren't in the most beautiful tile mosaic around. They're not in necessarily picking up the guitar. They're not in a whole lot of things that we, that we might think that they are. So we can, we can try to talk ourselves up and say, okay, I'm going forward and I'm going to live a life without regret. And that just makes you an idiot. You're not going to live a life without regret, especially if you're invested in this life. There's a passage in Revelations that I think describes the end of entropy. It's really nice. Christianity does give a solid solution for the second law of we're all doomed. And it's right here, the new heaven and the new earth. It says all this is going away. It just acknowledges entropy. It acknowledges the second law of thermodynamics. It says it's all going down. It's all going to burn. It's all going to vanish. Don't invest there. It says instead, this moment will come when God will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Key in on that line, death shall be no more. 
Entropy shall be no more. Decay shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And I'm going to call this the house or the home of resurrection. So we're people without homes. All of us are without homes. Even if we think we have homes, we're not as secure as we think we are. But the day is going to come when a home is established, and it's the home of resurrection. So death is no more. The solution to death isn't the end of death from Christianity's perspective. Instead, it's that death doesn't hold you. Entropy doesn't have its final say in your life. The past and your regrets don't have final say. It means it's okay to go down with the ship. It's okay to die because God brings people back from the grave. So when we talk about insecurity, what's the, what's, what's the solution to insecurity? Knowing that no matter what happens, I get to rise from the dead. No matter how insecure I may feel in this world, there is a new world, a new life coming. Whatever the second law is, this, if this world goes down, I believe in resurrection. If my body decays, I believe in resurrection. If all my material stuff fades and goes away, I believe in resurrection. If I have all kinds of spiritual questions and I don't know all the answers, someday it will all be clear. And I'll even get to play guitar. So this world where we work and work and work and strive and strive and strive to try to be better, to have less regrets is a world that is going down no matter how well you do with that no matter how hard you try no matter how great the decisions you make are moving forward it's all going down but we live in a in a world of resurrection saint augustine said this he said we are the resurrection people and our song is alleluia alleluia means a thousand praises it's a thousand praises to the one that brings life to dead bodies that brings order into a chaotic system now Closing thought, so many Christians get wrapped up in this idea of, well, then I need to really work hard to go to heaven someday. I need to work really, really hard so that when this life comes to a close, as it inevitably will, that I'm okay. They want fire insurance. They, they want to make sure that their eternity is all right. But Jesus, when he came to earth, he was the revelation of God to man. So he, he wanted us to know what God is like, so he sent Jesus so that we could see what he was like. And Jesus went around all the time, and I, the, the three-dot, three-sentence thing all the time gets way overused in graphic design, but I thought it appropriate here. Jesus, all the time, said the kingdom of God is now, is here. And it's really strange, my, my mentor, my buddy, who he, he prays for me and sends me messages every Sunday morning before we have service here. The passage he sent me today, because he, he prays and then he, he tries to hear from God for me and talks to me and then includes a passage of Scripture. And the passage of Scripture this week was the disciples coming to Jesus saying, when will the kingdom of God arrive? And Jesus' instruction to his disciples, he said, people are going to look for the kingdom. They're going to say, there it is, or here it comes. He says, but that's totally the wrong way to look at it. And then he closes with this thought. He says, the kingdom of God is in you. And that's a here and now thing. So when we're talking about the present, the here and now being all you've got, the kingdom of God, the dominion of God, the dominance of God in your life right now. Bruxy Cavey talks about how we, and I've shared this in here before, how this is our life. This is the beginning. This is the end. And we think one day we're going to die and it's going to be over. And the goal is that we will get to continue on because we've somehow attached the kingdom of God to our life and we get to live forever. 
But he says a more realistic way of the teachings of Jesus isn't like this is our life and this is forever. He says it's that the kingdom of God overlaps us. It's that the kingdom of God is, that's the goal of the kingdom of God is that it's right here, right now. So life, not death. Health, not sickness. Being taken care of materially versus being poor. There's all kinds of things that we think. Let me, let me think how I want to say this. We dedicate our lives to achieving these things, but they're hopeless. But what we do have is a lasting treasure forever that enters into the right here, right now. And our goal is to spread that, share it, live it, and have it in abundance our whole lives.